Special guest, Jamie Anderson. Well, hello, and welcome to a very special episode of Two Geeks, Two Beers, with me, Morgan, and my fab pal, Tom. <laughs> Hello. This is episode, and I have to be careful how I say this with my Cornish accent, <laughs> episode 44. Well done. That Thank was, you. That's very good. Now, we did promise you a Jurassic Park episode. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you all remembered that, <laughs> that, we, that we promised that, and are incensed <laughs> that it hasn't materialised. Um, it is coming. This time, though, Two Geeks presents a Jerry Anderson special. Yes. With a very special guest star. The son of Jerry Anderson and head of Anderson Entertainment, Jamie Anderson. Uh, Tom and I met up with Jamie in a pub in central London. Glorious sunshine outside. Yeah, football was on though, so it was pretty hard to find a good spot. It was, but we did yeah. find somewhere and we locked ourselves away, squirreled ourselves away to discuss all things Jerry Anderson. From Thunderbirds to Captain Scarlet to Terrorhawks to Space 1999, all sorts, uh, reflecting on the great man's career. Jamie was very gracious with his mm-hmm. time. He was also very frank uh, and honest and, and funny. Uh, it's a really great listen, I think, yeah. for anyone, but yeah. especially <laughs> if you're uh, fans of Jerry Anderson's works. Now, we were recording out in the wilds, yes. uh, as it were. So on please, location. On the, uh, out on location. Yeah. So uh, please forgive any ambient noise you might hear throughout. Uh, but yeah, without any further ado, please enjoy Two Geeks, Two Beers, Jerry Anderson Special with... Jamie Anderson, stand by for action. <laughs> well, hello. Uh, welcome to a very special episode of Two Geeks, Two Beers. Hello. Uh, I'm joined as ever by Tom. All right. <laughs> and a very special guest, uh, Mr. Jamie Anderson. Jamie, hello. Hello. <laughs> Happy to be your silver medal, I'm sure. Was. <laughs> a special person who didn't turn up. Right. It must have been amazing. Well, it's... it's Three geeks, three beers. Yes. So yeah, yeah we'll cheers. Rebrand it. For cheers, lads. Cheers, cheers. Thanks for having me. Of course. So, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, Jamie, of course, is uh, son of the great Jerry Anderson, the head of Anderson Entertainment, and we discovered a world rowing champion. This Jamie, right. wow, is this done, right? You've done research. <laughs> we did proper research. Now, a, a junior world rowing champion. That's, that's more rowing than we've ever done. So. True, yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, well, God, that's, I don't think anybody's ever flagged that before. Thank you. Yes. This is actually going to be an hour of rowing uh, chat. <laughs> rowing so, banter. Mm, rowing banter. So, um, Jamie, if you could start by, what's your name where'd you come from? Uh, tell us a little bit about who you are and what your day job at Anderson Entertainment uh, involves. Uh, right. No pressure. <laughs> Go no, for no, it. It's fine. Uh, James Lionel Anderson. Oh, nice. Didn't know that name. But nobody calls me James except my mother if I've done something wrong. (laughs) I'm uh, 33 years old, uh, currently living in the Valleys of Wales. Very nice. It's lovely. What do I do? (laughs) God. I mean, it's weird. Uh, uh, I think Anderson's statement is a bit of everything and nothing. Right. Which is uh, a strange way to do things. I'm probably, I reckon, working on about... 18 different projects currently okay. which is great fun but basically I think my job really is to 
uh, uphold the fine legacy of my late father mm. uh, because he's the closest we ever had to a British Walt Disney. Really, Absolutely. I don't think I can't think really of any other sort of. I don't want to say the B word, but we're all for now. Any brands, mm. yeah, which are kind of have, have come off the back of one person, which have lasted for six decades, yeah. Um, and that, well, other than Walt Disney, but if, if there are, then you should definitely enlighten me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were saying it's all like a British Walt Disney, but also uh, yeah, like, yeah, Jim Henson, a British Jim Henson. Like, that's the thing we've got to that. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. They always work together. Oh, know? really? Yeah, yeah. They had a project in the offing, and then poor, poor Jim kicked the bucket, and that was oh. the end of the project. But they, yeah, I think I think it was going to be something space police, space prison related. Ah, um, anyway, that would have been amazing. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm up, up, upholding the legacy and um, continuing. Uh, projects with stuff that dad didn't finish because he was a, just a complete workaholic mm. couldn't help himself uh, even when he was taking time off in inverted commas he wasn't he was he was just working yeah um, well it is remarkable just how many ideas he had and how many shows he created what was as he said was he always just buzzing with ideas constantly yeah I mean he um, work was his hobby mm. and work was his life so there was no time for anything else really mm. and he'd occasionally try and take up something like I remember there was a period when he wanted to he thought he should uh, he should do golf <laughs> golfing because that's what people do to relax <laughs> yeah. and he tried it for about half an hour and just thought it was really boring yeah um, so no his, his way of relaxing was to watch uh, Rolling News right uh, or the Discovery Channel nice and uh, in doing so he would just sit there and suddenly go god that'd make a great story <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Uh, and so quite often he would he he would say to mum I'm gonna I'm, you know I'm taking taking the weekend off yeah. and by two in the afternoon on Saturday he's down in his little office typing away because he's got some grand idea amazing so yeah just not non-stop create creativity and when you think it takes I don't know say on average from from first sort of conception through to beginning of production for a TV series on average might be five years mm. might be eight because it takes just so long. Uh, you know, in that, in that time, he's having ten, tens of new ideas, mm. probably. So yeah. there's just this huge stack of stuff. Well, that's the thing. Is it, it felt like there was like one new show every single year at one point. I don't know how you'd yeah. have the time to not only make it, but to come up with the ideas and all the backstories and all the characters. It must have taken a constant think space. I don't oh, know. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's part of where that kind of constant working thing yeah. came from, I reckon. Um, but I mean, they, you know, back in the sixties, they had that amazing machine, mm. all backed by. Lou Grade, yeah. when he would just say, "What's the next idea, Jerry? Dad yeah. deliver something," and Lou would go, "Okay." <laughs> I mean, that's that's how they kept going. Yeah. They had the machinery there. They had, mm. they had the entire production staff. You know, the infrastructure massive, there. Yeah, and and they were amazing at doing it. Mm. Um, but that sadly doesn't really exist now mm. anywhere. When I look at my career from afar, even I'm amazed at how many shows I've made. No less than 18 series, 800 episodes. And so it's been a wonderful career, one that I'm now very proud of. Well, um, I know you're about to launch your own Jerry Anderson podcast, uh, Jamie. <laughs> and I've also. A rival podcast. A rival podcast. <laughs> I was going to give it a bit of a plug. Um, and I've also very much enjoyed your uh, sort of unwilling guest appearances on the Benji and Nick show. Oh. Uh, <laughs> this is a. Uh, 
Nick Briggs podcast yeah. where every episode they just <laughs> fa- they FaceTime Jamie whether he's in a meeting you yeah. know having some family time whatever he's doing he grows increasingly more annoyed with each passing episode it's right. like in Father Ted you know that, that the priest they call up and he's always on holiday yeah. <laughs> it's very similar very similar yeah. Yeah. I'm never on holiday <laughs> no. normally I'm always trying to do some work or, or, or frying some eggs in fact that was one episode he ruined some eggs yeah. I mean amazing content in podcasting oh it's, 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 it's incredibly entertaining though I'm sure incredibly frustrating for you no, no it's, it's, it's good fun I, Nick I, I've just seen Nick Briggs and he sends oh, his mate. regards oh that's oh, very awesome. nice so uh, yes another one of those I mean there's we're lucky really that there are so many geeky podcasts for us to listen to <laughs> We are. We're in a golden age of geeky podcasts. <laughs> so, um, what we wanted to do uh, with yeah. you today is Uh-oh. sort of go through a, uh, a, a potted history of uh, Jerry Anderson series and just get some of your sort of uh, insight into those and, and any uh, nuggets of information you may have. Good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like it's going to be an exam now or a test. Yeah, no, it is, it is a test and we are marking you. Right, uh, okay. Yeah, no there will be a, a written test at the end. <laughs> we want to start uh, with Four Feather Falls. 1960, which was, I believe, the first marionation series that was created or co-created by by Jerry. Yeah, yeah. The four feathers on this hat are magic. They enable Tex Tucker's dog and horse to speak, and his guns to fire without him even touching them. And now, another exciting adventure from Four Feather Falls. First of all, why... Why marionettes? What was it about them that fascinated your dad? Why were they such a huge part of his career? Uh, well, he didn't like them. That's the thing. <laughs> so it, it wasn't like, oh, this He's would be a great way to tell stories. Mm. He never, ever, ever thought that. He didn't grow to love them? No. <laughs> no, <laughs> just stuck with them. So. No, he hated them. <laughs> right. So, no, he, I mean, so there's two, there's two things I should say about dad and puppets. The mm. first thing is, he, he wanted to make live action mm. movies. Yeah. He wanted to be mm. doing like the next Ben-Hur uh, in the in the sort of late fifties, early sixties, that was his aim. Mm. And so when he was approached by Roberta Lee, this is pre pre Four Feather Falls when they made Twizzle, mm. uh, which was the, one of the creepiest puppet shows. I've seen clips of it. It's Se- just, yeah, yeah it's second only to Torchy, which is the show. Yeah. Before, that was even yeah. creepier. Was, <laughs> oh, just absolute nightmare fuel. Horrible, horrible stuff. Yeah. Um, but R- Roberta came in with scripts and finance mm. and said, "Will you make this?" And then. She said it's to be to made with puppets, and Dad, Dad, Dad's reaction was, "I almost vomited on the floor," <laughs> because he thought this is this is embarrassing. Puppets yeah. are embarrassing, and I guess, you know, Muffin the Mule and Andy Paddy yeah. and sort of stuff back then. It was a bad rep. Yeah, they were yeah. kind of clunky and button eyes and ugly looking things, um, and so through sheer embarrassment, they made a massive leap, uh, even through Twizzle to Torchy by introducing new techniques. The puppeteers bridge and that kind of thing um, their very first special effect in Torchy mm-hmm. and so j- even those through those kind of I guess two three years they kind of perfected a new way of doing puppetry mm. And so I think it was Barry Gray who came up with the Four Feather Falls uh, concept, mm. the music maestro who was responsible for all those amazing themes. Mm. They had everything up and running to do it, and they had a bit of money to make a pilot. Mm. Um, so, but by that time, he, he 
started his journey to make puppetry respectable, in his words. But he never liked them. He always called them little bastards. <laughs> always. <laughs> Incredible. And never got over it. Yeah. So, yeah. So it was through necessity, not through desire. Right. And just, just by the looks of it, just really hard to master as well. Like, even if you were a professional, it was just a ball ache. <laughs> to, to get ball ache is probably the word. I think he, he may have used that term quite a lot. Yeah, I mean, the, the puppets that are are incredibly difficult to work with. They never do what you want. They're clunky, uh, awkward to make them walk, mm-hmm. or uh, yeah. But they, but but, not all down on the puppets. They do have mm-hmm. a, an amazing storytelling charm and a way to mm-hmm. engage you. And I, th- I think he must have been slightly aware of that, mm-hmm. especially as they were starting to put the puppets together before by the falls. Yeah. But they're still difficult and ugly little gits. <laughs> yeah. Well, you mentioned uh, Barry Gray, and I wanted to get onto him at some point because. Pretty much all the Jerry Anderson series just have incredible music, incredible uh, theme songs. You say pretty much um, all. Is that you're going to pick one out and says, "Well, that one's, oh, that, that one's duff. That one's a duffer." <laughs> no, like across across the board. In four feather fall, four feather fall, you'll always find a vacant chair. In four feather fall, four feather fall, where every heart is kind and true. If every you're it's just incredible music. Uh, was that? Kind of, you know, your dad's influence as well. Was he always very keen on, you know, these shows just sounding incredible? Yeah, dad. Um, he, he, he didn't have any kind of musical theoretical training or yeah. understanding or anything like that. But he really knew what he liked, um, and I just certainly remember through childhood him listening to the same music over and over and over again you really had it kind of carved out and actually if you kind of blend all the stuff that you really like together then Barry's is the perfect synthesis so I just think it was a, a lucky crossover mm. my dad was able to communicate to Barry I like this sort of stuff mm. and I want it to sound a bit like whatever um, what was his favourite thing? Rhapsody in Blue, I think, was one of his favourites. So he would say to Barry, I wanted to sound a bit like that, I wanted to have like the gravitas of that. And Barry had the most amazing musical brain that he could go off and, and deliver pretty much every time. They didn't always see, see eye to eye, but generally Barry's stuff was brilliant, so it didn't matter. And Four Feather Falls, as far as we're aware, has never been repeated. Is there a particular reason for that? Or? Just the black and whiteness of it. Because <laughs> when Stingray happened, obviously that was the first one shot in colour, but yeah. so that meant that there was a lot of repeat power, whereas did Four Feather Falls not have that? Yeah, I, I don't really know. I think it's partly because Granada, uh, who financed it, um, decided it wasn't that great and wasn't that for them and they didn't renew it. Mm. And I, I'm sure somewhere in the midst of time there'll be an explanation of some, some new person coming in and going, oh, Puppet Western, come on, <laughs> no. Yeah. And so I think it just got locked away. Yeah. When am I going to be big enough to shoot a gun, Sheriff? Well, Jake, when you're old enough to handle a gun, I hope you won't need to anymore. By then, there ought to be more law and order around here. Gee, Tex, when I grow up, I want to be a sheriff just like you, and then I can help you shoot down all the bandits like Pedro and his gang. Talking of Pedro, I wonder when he'll be paying us a visit. Reckoned he'd be here by now. Guess you'll be ready for him when he rides into town, Sheriff. Pedro won't ride into town, Jake. He'll probably sneak in and shoot somebody in the back. It certainly wasn't the black and white aspect, I guess, because Supercar and Fireball oh, yeah. got, mm. got repeated again and again and again. But, um, yeah, it's just one of those unfortunate things where it got locked away. Mm. Bit of a shame. I mean, it is a bit um, 
of its time. Very of its time. We say. Very of its time. Yeah. Great theme tune, though. As we <laughs> Fantastic song. Yeah, yeah, I really like Barry's songs. Yeah. Like, you know, sort of. But later on, when you get to Scarlet, and that's yeah. the kind of last mm. sung one. The Spectrums. It, yeah, yeah. It's Fantastic. a bit of shame, really. Cause I love that. I wish I was a spaceman by far, but, uh, from Far Away XL5. Genuinely, one of my favourite songs <laughs> of all time. Like, yeah. I, I love that one. So strong. So it, good. Yeah, it's 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 very singable. It really, yeah. Uh, really hummable too. Yeah. I wish I was a spaceman, the fastest guy alive. I'd fly you round the universe in Fireball XL5. Way out in space together, compass of the sky. My heart would be a fireball, a fireball. Every time I gazed into your starry eyes. So on to uh, Supercar. Supercar. Yeah, so that was the kind of first venture into sci-fi, I suppose. Um, Was that something that was on his mind? I mean, I suppose that was big at the time anyway, with sci-fi stories. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Moving towards sort of uh, kind of alien stuff Mm -hmm. and technology advancing and heading towards the space age, I suppose. Um, Yeah, Dad Dad was obsessed with flight. So tech stuff... Um, aviation, space flight, he was always kind of really fascinated by. He was a radio telephone operator in the RAF just after the war, and his brother, Lionel, hence my little name, uh, was a pilot who was killed in the Second World War. And so Dad had this kind of double appreciation, a, a technical appreciation of flight, and also uh, a kind of heroic, uh, fraternal connection mm-hmm. with aviation as well. So it really mattered to him. Uh, and so I think the, the idea of this hero pilot was probably central to it. Not not consciously. I don't think he ever consciously thought, you know, I'm going to pay tribute to my, my brother. But, you know, Mike Mercury, the sort of handsome, in inverted commas again, a bit of an ugly puppet, <laughs> I think. Weird eyebrows. And, yeah, 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 maybe it's that. It's just ugly. Uh, so, yeah, the, this sort of the handsome hero pilot who yeah. saves the day, that must have been in his, in his mind. With beauty and grace, as swift as can be, watch it flying through the air. It travels in space or under the sea, and it can journey anywhere. Supercar, supercar. It travels on land or roams the skies through the heavens' stormy rage. It's Mercury Man, and everyone cries. It's the marvel of the age. Supercar, supercar, supercar. But yes, yeah, it's that natural fascination with technology, and that natural fascination was shared by Derek Meddings. Mm. Who's the special effects maestro and designer of so many of these craft? I think I think Supercar was designed by Reg Hill. Mm. But it was Derek's influence. I have it written down here just to get my facts right. That the second series of Supercar marked a turning point for APF with the permanent appointment of Derek Meddings as director of special effects. So it was a key moment for, for Derek. Apologies for preempting your script. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, well, absolutely. And it got and Derek started playing and doing what he wanted. Mm. I mean, it, that's that's another reason that these things started to be more and more successful. Is it was a playground where they were all allowed to kind of improve what they were doing. They were allowed to experiment, they were allowed to try new things. Mm. And 
And part of that, again, was driven by Dad going, we've got to make this as good as possible. This has got to be like a, a small film. Mm -hmm. And that desire was pushed more and more and more as they went into the mid-60s. Mid mm. But also just because it, it was a, not a free-for-all, that's not the right word. <laughs> but, you know, he was, he was welcoming in these, these young, young people mm -hmm. who didn't have a lot of experience, but they really, really wanted to do it. And they had Dad encourage them and, and supporting them and Lou Grade behind him, backing them financially. Mm. So it was just an amazing melting pot for a sort of incredible creative outlet. Supercar calling base, supercar calling base. According to video plan, I'm approaching crash zone. Switching to clear view. Right, Mark, select right angle lens. Can't see anything, Professor. They must have drifted during the night. 30, uh, 32, and uh, three east uh, for tidal drift. I make it 195 magnetic uh, for about five minutes. Turn on to 195 magnetic, Mike. That's according to Beaker. That's all right by me. He never misses. Uh, Supercar in particular has been a big influence on a lot of people, and particularly one of my favourite artists of all time is Gary Newman. I don't suppose you've seen the clip where he's... Oh, have you heard this? No. Gary Newman yeah. loves Supercar and Fireball yeah, XL5. So I've just got a really? clip yeah. to you as you haven't seen it. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> so it's like two of my favourite things. <laughs> I go back to... Jerry Anderson of Fireball XR5, Supercar, I even remember Supercar, Jesus. That does show you how old I am. But Fireball XR5 and Stingray and all, and all these, um, Fireball XR5 was my favourite, it was such a cool thing. But all those, you know, kiddie programmes, you know, I was very, very little. My big fascination with Fireball XR5 wasn't the adventures they had, it was the spaceship. It's the coolest looking thing. And, and I was fascinated by that, you know, the power of them and the beauty of them. And, the speed of them, you know, that's like, even with things like Star Trek, you know, it was my favourite bit in Star Trek is when you see the spaceship. The stories, I'm all right with that, you know, but I just like looking at the spaceship and all the stuff it does. You couldn't believe it when you stumbled upon that. You were like, yes. say, two of my favourite things. <laughs> yes, so last. It's good to know that it's obviously had a legacy, you know, in ways you might not even thought of. Yeah, so, no, that, yeah. I love that. That is great. And uh, it's funny that you say about the spaceship and the kind of that being the bit that people remember, which is, I guess, most shows people remember a particular vehicle. Mm -hmm. That's the first thing that always comes up. But you know, it's not. I mean, yeah, you're right. I, I didn't. I honestly didn't know Gary Newman was a, was a fan of the show. <laughs> but I know. I, I remember Neil Gaiman sung Fireball XL5 theme tune at his Mrs. Uh, New Year's Eve party. Amazing. I think so. I've seen. I've seen just <laughs> that. <laughs> but it just it keeps propping up yeah. everywhere. There's so many people who have been massively influenced by it. Mm. It's amazing. But that's no. That's a new one on me. Yeah, Excellent. <laughs> so. Fireball XL5, yeah. 1962 to 63, was apparently, and correct us if we're wrong, but apparently the only Anderson series to have run on a US network. Is that is that correct? Uh, it was the, f I think the first or to the be first. syndicated. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's the that's right. the, So super, Supercar was shown on some in some states and some networks, um, and it was actually it was Supercar that kind of got the whole big uh, licensing merchandising thing going because. Mm the US were creating toys which was outside of their license because they hadn't really thought about that before um, and so that that started them the whole company thinking much much bigger and much broader about what could be done so I, I think um, it was the success of supercar in certain on certain networks mm. that eventually led to syndication for XL5 but that, there are a lot of people uh, mentioning celebrity fans mm. who who very fondly remember Fireball X5 in the US 
Tom Hanks being one of the amazing. <laughs> amazing. He, he is a massive Fireball fan. Amazing, because it yeah. just—I guess there was nothing like it. Yeah, nothing at all like it, and certainly nothing that had come out of the UK. And I think all Americans pretty much think that any of those Anderson shows that made it big over there were syndicated. Yeah. We just. They must have been made in the US because they were they mm. were epic. They had the sheen and the gloss of, yeah. a, of a US show, or what we would assume to be a US yeah, exactly. show. But actually, yeah. they were made in you know Slough, yeah. <laughs> so not so glamorous. I wouldn't say it was like as you know, as well known as a Thunderbirds or a Captain Scarlet or a yeah, well it's it's Steve Zodiac and Doctor Venus and Professor Matthew Matic and their robot Robert uh, patrolling a quadrant of space in Fireball XL Five, uh, protecting the Earth and meeting uh, aliens and <laughs> oddballs and yeah. uh, helping out where they can. And Robert was uh, voiced by Jerry. Well, yeah. the, I think the only time he, he went behind the mic was he never tempted to do that again in, in the future he, he, he was not uh, no, I, think, I think actually he, there's a, there's a rumour that he voiced um, uh, a, like a satellite voice in Scarlet I think um, again I may be misremembering that uh, but no he, he, he wasn't into acting I think that was a, probably a, a budgetary constraint or you know we're not getting another actor in just to say a couple of monotone mm. words yeah so then we got his um, vibrating device <laughs> right. to put against his throat yeah. and just uh, deliver the lines with as little emotion as possible. But I think later on there were all sorts of problems with equity and right, yeah, yeah. Uh, union stuff, so he stopped doing that. Space City, this is Fireball XL5. Good to hear from you, Steve. Now, would you please tell me what is going on? I wish I knew, Commander Zero. Call you back when we figured it all out. I don't get it. I just don't get it. But there was a planet. I know there was. But there's no sign of it now. Well, I've searched the space sky with the naked eye from Central Control, and I can't see it either. Well, gentlemen, I am sorry to say this, but I'm afraid we have all been suffering from a severe case of space hallucinations. In other words, it never really happened at all. Or did it? Take Excel 5 and grow to Earth. And then next up was uh, Stingray, which was 1964 to 65. Anything can happen in the next half hour. So I've got this down. This is one of my, one of our questions. Who did, in your opinion, Jamie, who did Troy really belong with, Marina or Atlanta? Team Marina oh. or Team Atlanta? Oh. <laughs> team Marina or Team Atlanta? Oh no! <laughs> God, 
hard. So I feel like Atlanta had it had it tough because she was the one doing all the work. I also love I also love that it's Lois Maxwell, who of course was Money Penny in the Bond films, where she's yeah. again sort of playing that similar character, the character who pines from afar. I think yeah. it's, that's perfect yeah. casting. Yeah. God, that is so. T- I've never really considered it having to be one or the other. I always thought, you know, well, this is just a three-wheeled kind of relationship. Right, yeah. sure. Commander Shore, Lieutenant Atlanta, meet Marina, the latest recruit to the World Aquanaut Security Patrol. Marina, well, what do you know? Yeah, well, uh, as I were saying, at least we know what we're up against. Well. I certainly know what I'm up against. <laughs> I mean, I have to wonder whether it could ever really have worked out for, for Troy Marina. Yeah. They, you know, born of two very different worlds. Sure, they're from two different worlds. Some communication issues, sure. probably, so I don't know if that yeah. would bode well for the long term. Yeah. Yeah. I think your head says Atlanta, but your, your, heart, your says heart says Marina. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> He's not singing oh, please, about Atlanta. Please carry on. <laughs> oh, no, that's, that's all you're getting. <laughs> That's me yeah. one pint in. Yeah. I, I'm a bit worried this is going to really, you know, get to me now. <laughs> You're just going to be thinking about that. <laughs> You're going to lose yeah. sleep. What are these strange enchantments that start whenever you're near? Whisper the words that my heart is longing to hear. You're... I do also think that, that Commander Shaw, mm. bit of an o- overbearing potential father-in-law. Mm. So maybe True. Troy was waiting for him to peg it right. before he'd actually <laughs> yeah, yeah. Make, make the move with it. Yeah. I, mean, I think that probably put me off. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> bit of a dig. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There you go. That's, that settled it. Settled it. It's Atlanta. Perfect. But is it fair to say that Stingray was the first series which sort of went up a level in terms of um, budget and, and like the amount of manpower involved? Yeah, yeah. I, I, it was around uh, mid Fireball XL5 time that Blue Grade uh, bought AP Films, mm. or bought into. Um, and suddenly, because it was Lou's baby now, Lou, I probably guess, felt more, more and more comfortable to put more cash in. Mm. Yeah. Um, and things like choosing to film it in colour, mm. yeah. yeah, big step up there. Yeah. And they were, you know, Dad was flying, I think Bob Bell and uh, Harry, was it Harry Oates back then maybe? Anyway, they was flying the team out to the US to learn how to shoot in colour because mm. they'd not used colour stock before. So all those aspects, they wanted to make it as good as possible. I'm sure there was some some pressure that Dad felt, not directly probably from Lou, but you know Lou was investing more and more money, so he wanted to to do the very best for him. So yeah, lots of again lots of factors kind of pushing it up, but some of those effects stuff bits and pieces as well from uh, from seeing all the water, mm. uh, the water shots just behind an aquarium type thing, isn't it? All yeah, yeah, and yeah, just fascinating. How Which I think thought. was Reg Reg Hill's idea. Mm. Um, they were talking about how, to, how they would possibly do it, and he, um, I'm sure, again, I'm sure there's a story about there being a calendar on the wall in the office uh, of some tropical fish, and Reg is just staring at it and went, "I've got it." The light bulb moment. <laughs> we'll shoot through a tank. I mean, yeah. what, what an amazing idea yeah. to do it. And they, but they kept having these ideas. I'm sure it's around then as well that Dad basically invented video assist, 
which is just is normal now. But mm. back then, you didn't, you weren't, you couldn't see what the camera was seeing on the screen anywhere else. You had to look through the the eyepiece, and he had it constructed so that they could look at multiple monitors of what the camera was seeing, which had never been done before. So I didn't realise that originated there. <laughs> yeah, I, he, that's he incredible. He invented video assist. It's widely acknowledged. But yeah, he, he didn't patent it. It was never copyrighted or anything, and so he never made a penny out of it. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah, yeah. that's but pretty cool. I mean, that, but that was partly born of this slightly strange attitude that Dad felt that he should be slightly away from the floor and kind of mm. watching from a control booth. So it, it almost came about for not the wrong reasons, but mm. not for the reasons you might come to appreciate. But then once the system was built, everyone said, well, this is amazing. Yeah, it changed the industry. Yeah. yeah. Something else we were wondering about is, um, of course, so many episodes of classic TV shows like Doctor Who are now lost. Uh, do you know exactly why all, all the Anderson series exist in their entirety? It's fantastic, obviously, that they do, but... Yeah, well, except for Twizzle, sadly. Uh, right, yeah. Only one episode of Twizzle surprise, oh, which uh. I know, which is uh, probably the biggest upset in cult television history. <laughs> uh, well, I, I think it's probably down to uh, Lou, Lou Grade again, actually. Um, because Lou was so keen to sell stuff internationally, they always they always had stuff on hand ready to replicate mm. for to send prints all over the world. Um, so I think that's pro- probably the main reason is that just ATVs archiving, mm. um, and you know there there are the odd missing bits and pieces mm. film wise. Um, Dick Spanner, you know mm. that <laughs> well loved show, <laughs> yeah. one of yeah. his best known works. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, doesn't exist on film anymore except for a one unaired episode. Um, the Terrorhawks negatives have been lost, so it's really the stuff within the ITC catalogue yeah. mm. um, that survive in their original form. Mm. But it's brilliant they do because they look so they look so fantastic. They look incredible still. Yeah. So on to Thunderbirds. Yeah, I think people have heard of this one. Yeah, I don't think we <laughs> I mean, need nobody, to, to give a quick summary of what Thunderbirds is. <laughs> nobody's, nobody's interested in Thunderbirds. Yeah. Nah, anyway. I don't really meet anybody like Thunderbirds. Skip it over. Yeah. Yeah. We just skip, skip this <laughs> yeah, one. Skip. Right. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Five, four. One thing about Thunderbirds that I'm always fascinated in is that, like, say, shows like Mr. Ben and, you know, shows that didn't have that many episodes because they repeated too often and you're mm. a kid and you just watch it. There's only 32 episodes of Thunderbirds and yet you'd assume there would be far more than that. Feels like hundreds. Yeah, yeah. it's amazing. Yeah, I know. And it, but, but part of the reason it feels longer, I think, is because of the long show length. Yeah. That 50-minute runtime yeah. is, is very different to most kids' things. But yeah. no, I mean, I'm completely with you. When I was a kid, I, it just felt like there must have been... Yeah. 50, mm. 100 hundreds, episodes, hundreds. It, it really did, but they were so action-packed, there was so much going on, mm. um, but it's, again, it's one of, those, one of those shows that people can happily watch again and again, and I'm not really sure what the, the precise reason for that mm. is. As you say, it looks so good now, even in HD, yeah. and um, the effects that you would have had no idea until you look at it, like the little, little things like 
the way their mouths move. Mm. I didn't had no idea there was electronics involved. Yeah, you would just wouldn't know that. But yeah, all the puppetry stuff. There's the the lips and the the leather lower lip, yeah. so that they would do that and they say that three times fast. <laughs> uh, not not once I've got to the bottom of this pint. I think. Um, but yeah, they were they were just constantly trying to make improvements. Uh, you can I think cert- certainly up until Scarlet, you can see uh, not just incremental but quite quite magnificent mm. changes in the technology. Mm. Um, so yeah, everything Thunderbirds was was moving towards the the filmic puppet show. Mm. Well, having put you on the spot with <laughs> Marina versus Atlanta, this is going to be even worse, if anything. Uh, favourite Tracy brother and favourite Thunderbird craft. Oh, okay, no, that's not that's not. Oh, okay, that's not bad. No, no, no. And, okay. and uh, if anybody disagrees with me on these, they're wrong. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, Virgil and Thunderbird too, obviously, 100%. Yeah. And I don't, don't pull faces, because mm. you can argue as much as you like. You can argue like with the son of Jerry Anderson like said, over which is the best. You, yeah. you will be incorrect. I mean, let they... I like Scott. Yeah. I like Scott Tracy. Yeah, yeah, you're the, you're the saw of the wood. Uh, people, people that like Scott Tracy, I mean, it, it just says it's a lot about them. Yeah, 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 they're all they're all about getting there first, taking all the glory. But did they do the work? No, they don't. That's why I, I'm not so keen on Scott. Uh, yeah, he, he turns up, gets mm. mobile control app. Yeah. Who knows how? Because that thing is massive, yeah. and he's got nobody to help him. It must be made of polystyrene. I don't mm. know. Yeah. Uh, and then what does he do? He just says. Yeah, can, Virgil, can you come and do the work, please? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Scott always arrives, yeah. scopes it out, and then just calls Virgil exactly. to sort, actually sort it out. Virgil, That's very true. Virgil comes oh, in, right. he's yeah. got all the kit with him, mm. yeah. he delivers he delivers it all, yeah. and quite often puts himself in danger. Yeah. Yeah. Scott very rarely does. He, he doesn't have to wash his uniform much, whereas no. Virgil quite often, you know, he's, he gets singed, covered in dust, cuts true. himself. It's true. Uh, and also, when he's at home, mm. he plays the piano, Yeah. he paints, <laughs> And I think he makes probably quite quite a good martini. Yeah. So it's like the perfect man, Virgil Tracy. I say you turn me around. Okay, Virgil, we're going to have to work fast. These doors are jammed tight. Any chance of blasting our way in? I can't risk it. Charges may upset those fuses. Not to mention the plutonium. Okay, stand back. But we've got 14 minutes before those fuses blow. And there's two more doors to go after this one. Okay, Scott, setting auto timer to 14 minutes. I've got a soft spot for John now, just because he's just. Well, we want to. Well, why? Such a sad sack. <laughs> so, 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 I can see that. So, the, the idea is that John and Alan are meant to share the responsibilities of manning Thunderbird 5 in, in uh, space. But Alan's a slacker. It's always John. It's always. <laughs> it's why, why is reasons for. Oh, I can't make. Uh, <laughs> got stuff on. Yeah, I've got bad knees. Yeah. Yeah. And they're, like you say, they're all on Tracy Island drinking martinis yeah. and playing the piano. John's stuck up in space. Yeah. On Skype. Yeah. Just yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, the, Dad didn't like the puppet sculpt, and I don't think he liked the voice either. Right. Which is part of the reason I think the writers were encouraged to leave John there. <laughs> right. Um, but maybe John just liked his own company. No. Maybe. You know, he liked people like that. Yeah. Or maybe he thought that Alan did a crap job. <laughs> sure, and he didn't trust him. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, right. I like kind of thinking that there is this backstory. <laughs> the backstory. Where there's a bit of uh, fraternal angst going yeah. on. <laughs> uh, yeah. Or, or I think I you know, just put it down to the fact that Dad didn't like the puppet. But. Fair enough. <laughs> What I loved about it is that because we were sort of 90s boys and mm. it was huge again in the 90s thanks to Blue Peter. Blue Peter and, and Tracy Island. Yeah, it's heard it. Lovely Anthea. Did, did your dad see that coming? Like, was that just out of the oh, blue? No. Or, yeah. no, I mean, because uh, he, I wouldn't say the 80s were turbulent exactly for him, but, you know, he was trying to re-establish himself after a very nasty divorce with, with Sylvia. Mm. Um, he got things going again with Terrorhawks. 
which you know did did okay, but it wasn't this. You know, it wasn't the same as before because he didn't have Blu-ray backing, didn't have the money. Um, he made Dick Spanner, which is a very small but super low budget show, and then um, he spent most of the eighties trying to get Space Police off the ground, which mm. would eventually become Space Precinct. But that that took uh, eight years mm. from you know inception to actual production. So he was having a bit of a rough time, and he was working on commercials, doing a lot of uh, directing commercials for uh, Burger King and Royal Bank of Scotland and um, uh, Lillette, Lillette's oh, wow. the feminine hygiene yeah. product, <laughs> uh, and that kind of thing. Yeah. And so he he was really sort of struggling to keep his wider TV career going. And so when they said we're going to reshoot on BBC, I don't think he ever thought this is going to be a huge phenomenon. But he thought, well, maybe people will remember me again. Yeah. And then it was massive. Yeah. I mean, it was, I couldn't quite fathom it as a six year old as I would have been then. Yeah. It was just, just bonkers. And suddenly, all my friends at school watching it, and, you know, he, he was sort of famous again in a way that he hadn't really been since the mid 70s, I would think. Yeah. And then I've put some green crepe paper at the top to look like palm trees. And because they're pipe cleaners, of course, they bend all over the place. And um, the way that you secure them into the papier-mâché is you just get a pencil or something and bore a little hole. I think you probably get about three or four either side and poke them all in. I'm just going to put those two in there. And then, this is the best bit, I'm going to put in Thunderbird 2. And there you go. Thunderbird 2 fits very nicely inside there. I suppose with that, it also brought back popularity of the other shows. You'll interest again in Yeah, well, again, the BBC picked all the other all, all the other shows up. Scarlet was back on, even Joe 90. I mean, I think that surprised everyone. <laughs> uh, but yeah, UFO and Space, they, they all suddenly reappeared in that amazing cult BBC 2 slot. Mm. Bring that back, Bring that by back, the way. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Missed that terribly. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it was, it was really, really good for him. It, it came just at the right time. There was also uh, the movie version of Thunderbirds, um, which was, it seemed great, but for some reason it just didn't have the reaction that they expected at the time. Yeah, it didn't, didn't translate, and I, yeah. <clears throat> uh, you know, you could probably do an entire podcast yeah. on that. Yeah. Maybe we will. Maybe yeah. uh, <laughs> in the sequel. Will. Yeah, let, let's not. Uh, <laughs> but no, I think people weren't used to seeing TV translated to the big screen, mm. and also people kind of had an attitude of, well, we watch that at home. Why do I need to pay? Mm. Yeah, whatever it was, two and six. But I don't know. What, you know what I mean? <laughs> Sounds I, right. You have yeah. to pay something to go and watch it. Yeah, out of the comfort of your own home. So it just wasn't the way people thought. And although they they were they were great and visually really stunning, I think they were probably slightly lacking in in story. The stories didn't take the the visual the same leap the visuals did. Mm. Um, and that was probably part of it as well. Maybe if they'd been been really huge scale stories, even bigger than before, maybe it would have drawn people in, drawn people in. But you know, the Cliff Richards scene, the Thunderbirds are going. Oh, with the shadows, yeah, stuff, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a bit weird. I mean, yeah. it's cute, but yeah. uh, and actually, that's the sort of thing that people do now all the time. That sort of stunt casting and bringing in big mm. names at the time. So that was again an amazingly forward thinking thing to do. But um, they're, they're probably not my favourite movies of all time. Mm. Wow. What a terrific group. Yes, they always play at the Swinging Star. You see, they're way out. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we present the biggest star in the universe, none other than Cliff Richard Jr. <laughs> Sometimes 
get me Then you kiss me And my mind is free But then And what about the, is it the 2004? With the year it came yes. out, the 2004 movie, Jamie Thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm busy just uh, <laughs> looking somewhere else uh, <laughs> Cracking theme tune, eh? Busted the Busted, yeah the I, busted. Do, I do enjoy the Busted song So good, good things about that film yeah. Uh, busted theme tune, yeah. Yeah. quite fun. Yeah. Uh, Sophia Miles and Ron Cook as Fantastic. Parker with their scenes written by Richard Curtis. Oh, yeah. Yeah. that's it. That's it. <laughs> Everything else, pretty, pretty, pretty shit, really. <laughs> uh, and, I, and I'm not speaking out of turn. Uh, yeah. You know, Dad said it was the biggest load of crap he'd ever seen in his life. Right. Um, and there was a lot of a lot of negativity around that whole thing for him. Yeah. Um, I just missed the point. Yeah. You know? yeah. It's just a yeah. A, re- a real shame, a real missed opportunity. Yeah. In the year 2010, billionaire and former astronaut Jeff Tracy took his five sons to an uncharted tropical island where they built the secret headquarters of International Rescue, an organization dedicated to helping those in need whenever disaster strikes. They have come to be known by the name they gave their incredible machines. Thunderbirds. Now in my office, now. They're so busted. In a family of heroes. I wish that was me. Saving lives is a dangerous business. Alan Tracy was always being left out. Don't you have homework to do or something? Until five. Mayday, mayday! He was the last one left. Who will rescue the rescuers? I can do this, you know I can. This is a kid. He's a Tracy. Thunderbirds need you right now. Get me as close as you can. The Thunderbirds are coming to the rescue. Thunderbirds. But the Thunderbirds are go now. That's kind of revived the brand a little bit as and that seems to have gone down very well. That's very popular. It seems to be very well received yeah. and uh, we, we keep seeing kids uh, who have just seen this this the new one for the mm. first time and they find out about the old one and then they go looking for it on YouTube or ask their parents to get the DVDs and whatever and they're, they're, they're watching that too. Amazing. So it's, a, it's an excellent gateway drug yeah. to <laughs> the rest of the Jerry Anderson universe which yeah. makes me very happy. Yeah. Is, is anyone out there? National Rescue, we have a situation. Thunderbirds are go! Five, four, three, two, one. Thunderbirds are go! There, there have been uh, parodies as well based probably on well, all Jerry's yeah. shows, but particularly Thunderbirds. Obviously Team America is the most obvious one. I just wondered if he ever saw it or had any opinions on it or anything like that. Right. <laughs> so, I really like Team America. Yeah. Um, uh, Matt and Trey uh, called into Dad's office wow. uh, on the phone. Um, when was Team America out? Around 2004. 2004, about the yeah. same time. Yeah. Okay, so they were starting production on New Captain Scarlet. Yeah. And they were doing pre-production. Okay. And uh, Mark Sherwood, the post-production producer, I think, on, on Scarlet, um, got a call from Matt Trey, said that they were looking at doing a, a puppet-based film. They really, really wanted to meet with Dad. Mm. So uh, 
had a chat with Dad, Dad and Mark had a chat and Mark said these guys are pretty pretty big news yeah. Jerry you really should meet with them and Dad said okay but I don't know anything about them so can you get me a DVD of whatever they've been working on recently <laughs> right. and I'll watch it so I came home one night oh, and no. Dad was sitting in the in the living room watching South Park <laughs> Anyone who knew him, uh, that is not the sort of thing he would watch normally. So it was a bizarre yeah. moment. And I went, I just walked in and said, what are you watching? Yeah. He, he said, I can't understand a fucking word they're saying. This is, I mean, what, what is this? And he turned it off. And so he never met with them. Right. Because he couldn't face, I mean, you know, one of the things he had was scruples, political yeah. scruples, and he just couldn't meet them face to face and say nice things when he didn't mm. believe it. So, um, yeah, the meeting never happened. Right. Uh, and when he eventually saw um, Team America, I think he felt like it was an insult, mm -hmm. uh, especially off the back of not meeting. Maybe he felt like he, maybe they felt they were slighted right. and the whole thing was a big revenge project right. against him. Um, so no, he, didn't, he didn't approve and I think he stopped uh, Either, either during the vomiting or during the sex scene. I don't know which yeah. one. It was definitely one of those two where he, he could no longer watch it anymore. Uh, I know people who stopped during yeah, the vomiting. Who walk, I think my brother walked out of the cinema during the vomiting, really? so he wasn't alone. Yeah. He wasn't alone. I, but it's nice to know they acknowledged that an influence at the very least. Uh, yeah, well, I, but they, see, they didn't. I, a lot of people think that they, they watched the shows when they were kids mm. and thought, let's do it like that because we love Thunderbirds. Mm. I don't think they'd actually heard of Thunderbirds. <laughs> they were discussing it in a, in a kind of like a round table right. chat with a potential production team and yeah. it was mentioned and they watched it and thought, God, this, the way of making this thing is so clunky and ridiculous. It's mm. great for comedy. Let's do it. And when they finished, they said, I don't know why anybody would ever make anything like this. It's just <laughs> awful. Yeah, yeah. Um, cause it, because it's so difficult. So it wasn't like a love letter. Right. Okay. But, but a lot of the people who worked on it, you know, had a fondness for yeah. the show. So I think that kind of shines through. But... Yeah, very, very different and, um, and not exactly a sort of uh, homage. Yeah. yeah. I've got five terrorists going southeast on Bakalakadaka Street. Soon every country will be in complete chaos. And so you see, the new world is inevitable. It's what? Ineb inevitable. One more time? Inevitable! Things are inevitably going to change! So, on to my favourite yeah. Anderson series, which is Captain Scarlet and the Mysterons. Good choice. 1967-68. Uh, the Mysterons. Sworn enemies of Earth. Possessing the ability to recreate an exact likeness of an object or person. But first, they must destroy. Leading the fight, one man fate has made indestructible. His name, Captain Scarlet. This is the voice of the Mysterons. We know that you can hear us, Earthmen. You attacked our complex on Mars. And you will pay a heavy price. Our next act of retaliation will be to destroy the city of London. Do you hear, Earthman? We will destroy the city of London. 
first of all, we discussed this. Our first ever episode that we did of this podcast was all about terror hawks. Yes, and we, I remember. And, and we yeah. briefly discussed um, Captain Scarlet and how he has an unfair advantage <laughs> and how uh, Captain Blue doesn't get enough credit for yeah. basically undertaking the same missions, yeah. but without the advantage of being indestructible. Do you agree? The massive risk of death. Yeah, right. Exactly, we'd, all yeah. Be, we'd all be like hard if we were indestructible. We'd right? all be brave if we were indestructible, yeah, yeah. wouldn't we? I mean, we'd I feel like... all over the place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, You'd be challenging me over the Scott Tracy Virgil. Virgil, we, yeah, we, we'd just if you're indestructible, flat out scrapping. Yeah, of course. Yeah, <laughs> is yeah, it, yeah, is yeah. it like a Terminator situation where if he blows up, he just sort of starts moving like like the the T one thousand? Is that how it works? Uh, I, it's a nice image. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm not I sure whether he whether he regrows. Yeah. If he gets his arm blown off and the, the arm is you know no, no longer in his existence, does it regrow? Yeah, or... exactly. I, I'm not sure yeah. they really thought about the technicalities. <laughs> the rules of his indestructibility kind of yeah. kind of waver. It's fluid. Yeah, they, they, yeah. they, they fluid. fit whatever happened. Like, yeah. No, Blue, I mean, and Blue would often get Scarlet out of scrapes as well. Yeah. yeah. So putting yourself in more risk. So, yeah, no, it, it really should have been called yeah. Captain Blue. Captain Blue. Captain Scarlet and Captain Blue are on their way back to Cloud Base. Is everything ready in Cloud Base sick bay, Lieutenant? Yes, sir. Treatment will begin as soon as our two patients arrive. They were sealed in an isolation capsule at the scene of the crash. We can safely assume that Captain Scarlet will be immune to the bacteria. But everything must be done for Captain Blue. Dr. Denton is already at the scene of the crash, supervising the spraying operation. Captain Scarlet and Captain Blue installed in the sick bay, sir. Thank you, Lieutenant. Captain Scarlet, Captain Blue, how are you feeling? Fine, thank you, sir. We are doing all we can. Dr. Fawn is working on a possible antiserum now. I, I always find it odd as well that Captain Blue was best friends with the, the original Captain Scarlet, who yeah. of course dies, gets replaced by a Mr. on Duplicate, but then just sort of treats the Mr. on Duplicate like it's his friend, <laughs> even though his real friend is is dead, and he's yeah. just hanging out with the, the duplicate of his friend, yeah. and seems totally cool with that. I've always found that slightly odd. Yeah, it's a bit, um, well, maybe it's just a bit fickle, or yeah, yeah. Or he, he really misses him, and it's the best thing he's it's got. It's the it's best he's got. It's the best he's got. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's the Poor. tragedy at the heart of Captain Scarlet, really. <laughs> Poor Adam. Yeah. Quite great, sad, isn't it? Great Ed Bishop. Yeah, as soon as you start digging into these things, there's quite a lot of sadness. <laughs> what well, also with Captain Scarlet, I think, is one of the most terrifying of the Jerry Anson series. It's a series. lot darker, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, the, the Mistrons yeah. and, and, and Captain Black. You know, everyone says, oh, I was terrified of Captain Black when I was a kid. Um, I mean, how scary do you think it was too scary? Were there ever sort of debates as to, you know, do you know if there were debates as to, oh, is this show too much? Is it too dark for kids? And, yeah, they. Um, <laughs> well. They, uh, they brought in somebody's uh, kiddies to see the first episode. And I can't, I can't remember whose kids, it, it might have been one of the production team's kiddies. But they, they came in and put the first, uh, the pilot episode up. And um, the minute the uh, Mistron voices started playing, mm. uh, the, both kids ran out screaming. <laughs> And that's before you've got dead puppets lying yeah. face down in yeah. rivers, yeah. you know, blood's like coming out from between Scarlet's yeah. fingers as he clutches his, you know, gunshot wounded yeah. chest. Uh, so they, they, I think they realised that they'd gone a bit too far, but, oh, I say too far, maybe they've gone to the right place because I think Dad appreciated that kids actually quite like to be scared yeah. by stuff. Yeah. Um, so they'd really, they'd really hit on something and it, because it got a lot more straight laced, you know, there weren't the comedic elements they were, like they were in Thunderbirds. There was no Penny and Parker relationship. Um, there weren't those little comedy music cues when, you know, the hood's roll of film pops off of his head with a kind of boom sound. <laughs> you know, all that had gone. 
So if you if you lose all that comedy and then just make everything much more straight laced, I don't know. It just becomes a bit a bit bland, a bit neutral. But if you replace the comedy with this quite nasty side that's scary, I think that's the balance that was required. So they yeah they they were aware what had happened, especially when the kids ran out screaming. Yeah. But I think they thought oh, maybe this will maybe this will work, and it did. Yeah. yeah. I mean, well, that's why it's, it's your my favourite. It's my yeah. favourite, and I watched it as a kid, and it's the same reason I love Doctor Who and all those shows because yeah. it you know they scared me as a kid, but in a, in, a, in a sort of safe space. So I, I think I was. I don't know if I was too much of a wetty, but like wetty, wetty. <laughs> it's coined by too many. I did really like Scapscar, but there, I remember my brother, who's a lot older than me, he in the loft he had his old action men toys and there was one in particular that he must have when he was a kid mm. put fake blood on it or whatever and I knew it was up in the loft and I was always scared of it being up there and I think it's Captain Scarlet's fault because there were so many scenes where there was like these puppets just you know, blood everywhere <laughs> strewn and covered yeah. in blood yeah. so, uh, still get scared of that now it's probably uh, still up there absolute wetty yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, can, I can definitely see that there are elements of it I mean yeah, yeah the, the, the Mr. on Rings and that sort of non-corporeal Mm. presence mm. and the music yeah. it's quite creepy because they could be everywhere they were everywhere mm. and that that's that is creepy as a kid I think quite they, could, they could be in any room watching you yeah, yeah. now I sourced this from IMDB so it may well again be nonsense let's hope it is but it says it says uh According to background information about some of the characters produced by Century 21 for its publications, Captain Scarlet takes place a few years after the events of Stingray. Now, <laughs> is, is, is this like a precursor to the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Is there a Jerry Anderson shared universe? Do all these shows take place in the same universe, in your opinion? So, that, well, n- not technically speaking, right. based on the TV shows alone. Yeah. I don't think there was, ev- there was never any intention for that to happen when they were making the TV shows. The only reason they share elements is because the uh, uh, props and puppets were often recycled. <laughs> yeah. uh, but the TV21 comic was where they started tying them all together, and that that is the origin of the sort of the Jerry Anderson multiverse, yeah. <laughs> or whatever it is. Um, so, so yeah, it, um, I think in that Gordon from Thunderbirds trained with Wasp. Right. Um, there are all sorts of of links across the universe. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they started to tie things together, and also you could technically say uh, Zero X, the Martian exploration vehicle, for, uh, which was on the front of Zero X, mm. leads us into Captain Scarlet. So there's mm. a kind of on-screen thing, but I'm pretty sure that's property cycling. That's yeah. nothing else. Yeah. So depending on whether you go by TV production law yeah. or TV Twenty One stuff, right? Then it, it, it changes. But I, d- I do think they've got amazing potential to be in a shared universe. And it's yeah. the, again, you know, in the same way that. Uh, Dad was the closest we've got to Walt Disney. Yeah, really, the Anderson stuff is the closest we've got in the UK to Marvel, and it's yeah. it's it's <laughs> actually weirdly a, a lovely kind of very British version of a Marvel thing. <laughs> yeah. There's something so quirky and quaint about it. It has great potential, but mm. I, yeah, certainly on screen there was never any intention. Right. There have been a uh, new Captain Scarlets in in recent years and, and years gone by what new Captain recent, Scarlet yeah. yeah and you say recent yeah. Yeah. I mean it's oh God, it was yeah. th- <laughs> that's because 13 we're, years yeah. ago that's yeah. because we're old and, yeah. see, and it feels still recent feels, it, feels, feels, it feels recent yeah. to us it felt like a couple yeah. of years ago yeah 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 68 Meteor Strike Scarlet come on 20 years since man first set foot on the red planet join Captain Scarlet and his crew in their cutting edge combat vehicles they face all new villains. This isn't my way home, you idiot. I'm cutting short your life. And adventures. I'm getting a bad feeling about this mission. 
The Mysterons have declared war on mankind. What is it? We're under attack. It's Earth versus Mars, with the invincible Captain Scarlet in the lead. The Spectrums are ready to swing into action. He's alive! Get ready for the ultimate adventure in outer space. Jerry Anderson's new Captain Scarlet. 13 years ago, new one, dad, Dad's reinvention, which he was very proud of, mm. but um, was completely, uh, well... You can say butchered. Was, well, I was going to say fucked, actually. <laughs> uh, was totally fucked about with yeah. by... by uh, in Ministry of Mayhem. Ministry of Mayhem, mm. yeah. Oh, God. Such a shame. Because, again, one of the things that Dad shows has struggled with since the 60s, I suppose, since, yeah, since the 60s, is finding the right slot. Mm -hmm. Now, these... The, because of the scope and the scale of them, they're all kind of really kind of prime time family viewing shows. And ever since the sort of mid eighties, maybe early nineties obsession with kind of demographics and you know, oh, kids, kids from five to seven will watch this and kids from six to nine to watch, will watch that. Mm. Everything kind of put into weird time slots. And so New Captain Scarlet suffered from that. If, if it had been on kind of Saturday or Sunday, late afternoon, early evening, I think it would have had an, a massively different reception. Mm. Which it now has discovered an audience, I think, through DVD and that mm. kind of thing and streaming yeah. and all those kinds of... Home entertainment. Home entertainment. It's brilliant for that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Do you think he would have loved Netflix and all that kind of thing? Would, would that appeal to him? God, yeah, I suppose it sort of... Uh, kind of just, just missed out on that, but... Um, he, he was... Uh, since he was such a big fan of rolling news... Mm. Kind of constant immersion in stuff. I think he would have loved binge watching, mm. um, especially if it was kind of you know documentary type stuff, sciencey stuff. And um, I can certainly see him being uh, attached to Netflix now. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, he would, I would have absolutely loved it. And it and it's a great place for Anderson stuff now. It's just a shame that currently there isn't any Anderson stuff on Netflix. Uh, an outrage. Great yeah. shame. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Could that change or what? Not, not up to me, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, but no, I mean, people can go on and um, request stuff. They can. There's a request yes. page on yeah. Netflix. Yeah, uh, everyone request. We're gonna we'll tweet yeah. that from yeah. the, the two geeks because yeah. yeah. we have that much power. We do. We have <laughs> Just, we have the sway. You could change the Jerry Anderson universe for the better. Oh. That would be amazing. Please do. But I know. I mean, you know, people power and all that. Yeah, yeah. It'd be great to have it on there. I'd love to binge watch a bit of Scarlet. Yeah, but uh, a change of pace. Now to Joe ninety from sixty eight to sixty nine. Which what what direction of pace change are you thinking? Uh, well, is down? <laughs> no 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 not no, in terms of quality. No. We were talking about how um, you know Captain Scarlet was a huge success because it was more adult. Yeah. Whereas this has a child protagonist, it, it feels yeah. a lot more squarely aimed at kids. So I mean, was that a response to Captain Scarlet? Yeah. Um, yeah, I I think it was probably a slight overreaction. Right. To Scarlet stuff, you know. I, because they'd come off that, the pinnacle of Thunderbirds, uh, where everything had been so, so successful, and then Scarlet was still successful, but not as successful. Maybe they felt they'd gone, they'd gone the wrong direction, it was too adult, it was too, too scary, too inaccessible to kids, I don't know. But Joe 90 was certainly, it was advertised as being, you know, if you love Thunderbirds, you're gonna love this because you're in it, basically, yeah. you, you kiddies. <laughs> Yeah, 
it was it was a real attempt at targeting. Yeah. I'm not I'm not sure it was entirely successful, mostly because I really think that Joe came across like a little prick. <laughs> <laughs> really did. I, mean, I never ever liked him. It's one, it's one yeah. of the few shows. I think maybe one of the only ones aside from Torchy that I just yeah. can't watch. Really, really. It just makes you feel uncomfortable. Yeah. It is hard, isn't it, to to make a kid character that kids mm. love. Because they tend to resent them more than grow attached to them, I think, a lot of the time. Yeah, but there, there are, on occasion, really good kids. Mm. Um, you know, and no offence to, to Len Jones, the voice artist. I don't think it was it was just down to the voice. <laughs> uh, the, the puppet itself just had a slightly obnoxious look. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's very difficult. I think if it was done now, it would be done very, very difficultly, dif- differently, where the... The, ch- the challenges to the kid and the difficulties you go through would be explored more. But he, he just, you know, he sat in the big rap, he, he, he learned his stuff with no effort whatsoever, and then went out and he had all the skills required. I mean, yeah, he'd get into trouble occasionally, but it was, you know, it was always fine. We, we were talking before you arrived about the sort of moral implications <laughs> of, of brainwashing a small child and sending him off on dangerous well, missions. that is the other thing, isn't it? I don't think you get away with it. <laughs> so, social services might have something to say, I think. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you think a single dad experimenting <laughs> on his own son, just go off and do it, hiring him out yeah, to yeah. a spy agency to kill people, uh, and then let's go out for ice cream or yeah. whatever. I mean, it, yeah, it's it's bizarre. They can't really stop me now, Sam. They may try ground-to-air missiles, and that's just what they're doing, Sam. They're throwing everything they've got at me. I can't chance it. I'm going in to attack the base. Okay, Joe. You're the expert. But it, yeah, it just wasn't one wasn't one for me. Although the music was cool. Yeah. As ever. Very cool. Have you done the Joe Ninety dance ever? What's the Joe Ninety dance? Yeah, I'm not suggesting we do it now. There aren't enough of us anyway. <laughs> uh, but I've, no, I've been to a couple of conventions where they play it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you have one person in the middle is Joe Ninety. And then a ring of people around them, right. and another ring around that, and the rings turn opposite yeah, ways. Yeah. Uh, every eight beats, you change direction, and every eight bars, the person in the middle changes. That's amazing. And I don't know, it's just <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I highly recommend it. The fact it's, that people do that is incredible. It's quite quite fun. It has a sort of um, James Bond vibe, mm. as well, like the strongest uh, James Bond vibe of any of the Jerry Anderson series. Um, was was he ever like? In, in talks to write a Bond film, or was he ever approached about Bond or anything like that? Or? You're asking because you know this, or oh yeah, I'm asking because I know. I, this. I'm just checking. You, 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 I wasn't going to massively surprise you. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm also a massive James Bond fan, so I, I do know this bit of trivia. But if you could, yeah, yeah, yeah. he was elaborate. Uh, uh, Dad was approached. Mm. Uh, you might not know this, right, okay. more, Tom, but uh, Dad was approached to uh, to do a, a treatment for Moonraker. I yeah, think. Um, which he did. Uh, with Tony Barwick, his longtime collaborator, who was script editor on Scarlet and wrote lots of Terror Hawks and all sorts of stuff. And it was put forward and it was well received, and then they heard nothing. And then um, it came out, the film came out many years later, a long time later actually, mm. really. And they, it shared a few elements. Right. Um, and uh, Dad wasn't very happy. Fair enough. Uh, and said, um, what are you doing? Yeah. What, what, what happened here? Because yeah. you know I wrote this and you ignored me. Yeah. And they said, uh, "Oh, uh, yes, uh, I wouldn't worry about that. Um, if we pay you some money, will you destroy all the copies of that and uh, never talk yeah. to us again?" Uh, and so that's what he did. Except he didn't destroy one of the copies, which I've still got. Um, 
uh, I don't know if that probably breaches some <laughs> thing with Eon. I, I don't know, but uh, so you have a you have a copy of his draft of Moonraker. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Which is quite interesting. Yeah. It's quite different. Yeah, um, and I, I'm not sure how successful it would have been actually. Right. Uh, but there's lots of cool stuff in there. Yeah. So um, yeah, fascinating. But he, I, I, I think the jobs where he he was work for hire mm. or could have been work for hire. He, he was always quite proprietorial over his stuff, so doing it for somebody else, I don't think it ever had quite the same passion. Mm. Mm. So, you, you know, when you come to the Protectors mm. um, in, whenever it was, 1970. 1972. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, see, because that's not a real Anson thing to me. Yeah. But it, it, I don't know, it, it just smacks of, he didn't really care about it as much, and I have right. to wonder whether he would have cared about the Bond thing as much, mm. despite the fact it was, you know, a really great kudos. Yeah. So maybe it was best that it didn't. It didn't happen. It didn't pan out. Um, was there going to be a Joe Nineteen movie? We think we read that Disney were like involved in potentially doing that, but I don't know if that went anywhere. I think with with all the Anson stuff, people constantly see the value in it, yeah. um, and uh, there have been several approaches to ITV over the years about um, Joe Nineteen. I'm pretty sure Disney did option it in the know, early 2000s or maybe earlier than that. But uh, yeah, as with so many things, it never happened. <laughs> because uh, it's so bloody difficult to get anything going. It would have been a live action thing with Shia LaBeouf. As, uh, <laughs> Shia LaBeouf is he, was, he was really hot in the early <laughs> 2000s. It's probably what would have happened. But, well, um, there's, there were talks about, I think at some point, about uh, Joe was in J.O. Josephine ah, uh, okay. 90, uh, which would have been interesting. But yeah. I think, was, I, I've never actually seen it, but I keep being told that, um, <clears throat> is it Dollhouse? Doll Doll's house. Dot Dot Joss Whedon. Yeah, yeah, Joel, yeah. Which had a bit of a Joe Ninety vibe. I've never thought it. about that before, yeah. but that's kind of grown up Joe Ninety. Yeah, 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 because it's about people getting brainwashed or and uh, carrying out spy missions, and yeah, and that didn't get a fair run either. No. <laughs> well, yeah. it sounds like IP theft to me. Yeah, yeah I think so. Stole it, so who cares? Whedon, watch out. <laughs> <laughs> but on, on to an intriguing one, which. Is fascinating the Secret Service in, in 1969. 69. The, the finest piece of the Jerry Anderson canon, I think. I think you'd have to give an explanation on what this was, well, if, if possible. It's evident from the uh, title, <laughs> isn't it? Um, a priest, mm -hmm. Father Stanley Unwin, mm. played by Stanley Unwin, yes, who lives with his groundskeeper Matthew in a platonic relationship, <laughs> has a Bible uh, in which is a miniaturizing ray, and he shrinks Matthew and puts him in a briefcase, all in the name of missions for yeah. British, the British Intelligence Service Headquarters Operation Priest, mm. or Bishop, you know, Dad loved a good Brilliant. acronym, yeah. um, and they go around, you know, thwarting bad guys and stuff, and uh, poor Mrs Appleby, the uh, housekeeper, knows nothing about this bizarre relationship between Father Robin and Matthew, uh, and they drive around in a little multi Ford. Uh, which also gets miniaturised sometimes, sometimes not. Sure. And it's a blend of um, puppetry and live action. Not entirely successfully, some might say. And, and for contemporary listeners, can you give some context as to who Stanley Unwin, the real Stanley Unwin, was and what he meant to people at the time? Uh, <laughs> maybe. I mean, uh, sort of uh, comic performer. Um, uh, uh, yes. I mean, I don't even really know. Stanley Unwin spoke... Did this sort of routine where he spoke unwinnies, unwinnies, yeah, in inverted commas, which was a sort of weird backslang slash made-up bizarre language, um, which had people in stitches mm. in the sixties. Uh, <laughs> but when applied to a, a relatively straight-laced puppet show, was bizarre. But in in the series, yeah, Father Unwin, 
would get out of sticky situations by <laughs> confusing people with his unwinnies. Yeah. Matthew, according to my calculations, you should now be over Oxford. You're exactly right, Father. How about you? Are you on schedule? Yes, Matthew. I'm bang on schedule. Matthew, I'm afraid I may be slightly delayed. Did you realise, sir, that you were exceeding the speed limit? I'm afraid I didn't, officer. Well, you will be reported for the question to be considered of prosecuting you for exceeding the speed limit. Quite so. You're not obliged to say anything unless you wish to do so, but what you say may be put into writing and used in evidence. Ah, yes. Write scribbly in your bookery. All utterly words, speed of your pen slowed, must deceive my eyeballed. I, uh, I didn't quite catch that, sir. Ah, partlow. I'll explain to you. Now, Matthew, my gardener, is deep joy with green fingers in the garbage, you understand. I see. Yes. Well, now, we've got this urgent mission for the bishop. Do you understand for the bishop of that? Right. You do? Right. Well, unfortunately, Matthew is trapped in the engine's all rotating mose. Rotating mose? Yes, that's the rotating engine bolt. You spell it E-I-N-G, Henji, Henji, bold. Right. Now, this does a... Henji, bold. Henji, bold. Correct. Right. Now, this is a cause of vibrail in his eardrums it might crash it for Lollipad. We must get there before it's too late. It's a matter of life and death. A matter of life and death, you say, sir? Absolutely. And uh, your destination, sir? Oakington Airfield, officer. But that's been closed to air traffic for four years, sir. Nevertheless, that's where I'm going. I mean, and that, but that was the thing that killed the show. Yeah. Because really? Lou Grade saw the first episode, <laughs> and um, I think he, very, very early on, there's the first blast of Unwinnies going mm. on. And Lou just told the projectionist to stop. He said, no, 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 no. No one's going to... This is... No! It's not happening! And uh, I think they maybe had made five or... onto the fifth or sixth episode production by that point, and Lou just said, Jerry, cancel the show. Do wow. Complete the first 13. Yeah. We'll sell that as a block, but this isn't going to work. Wow. I think that was the first time they'd had a breakdown in, yeah. in the relationship. Yeah. Um, but I... Part of me wonders if that was uh, a touch of self-sabotage by Dad, because he, he, he so, so, so wanted to move into live action. Right. He'd made those little steps with making the puppet proportions more real on Scarlet. Yeah. And now in Secret Service, there were actual live actors in it. Yeah. Uh, badly. I mean, well, uh, well blended with uh, uh, puppetry. Um, so part of me really thinks subconsciously he was like if I make this really rubbish yeah. I've got such a good back, background of stuff that Lou will back me if I want to do live action yeah. but this could yeah uh, so I can't help but wonder if he tried to sort of subconsciously kill the puppetry and then he did the next thing he did was UFO which exactly. was his first live action yeah, yeah. Well, it was the demise of, of Super Mario Nation and the closure of the studios all very sad <laughs> must have been incredibly excited then to get mm. to do UFO because you say he always wanted to do live action so was that kind of a bit of a dream project then? Yeah he did but you see he always had these dreams of doing these big projects every, every single time basically he would say right here's the idea and when in the Lou, Lou days he presented to Lou and Lou would say yeah okay and later on he'd kind of raise finance from multiple parties and broadcast and all sorts of stuff but whenever it came together he'd go I've got to make it now. <laughs> and I think no, nowhere back more so than the UFO. Because he had all these years with directors who were working with puppets, re-recorded dialogue, uh, you know, done in a very, very different way. And now suddenly they were faced with real people and all the problems that come with real people. You know, they're talking back and mm. being difficult and, uh, you know, getting sick and not being able to turn up or having a different job they have to do. 
Um, so, so it was a whole new set of challenges. So it was a, a blessing for him in many ways because it's what he always wanted to do, mm. but then a massive curse at the same time because they spent a decade cultivating this amazing setup for, for puppetry. Yeah. And suddenly it's flesh and blood. Yeah. Trickier to work with. I think UFO stands up really well though, that series. I, I really like UFO. Yeah, it does, except for a lot of the staring at boobs that happens. <laughs> the costumes well, yeah. are quite impressive. The co- the, yeah, the costumes, the wigs. But, uh, yeah. but, at the, but at the same time, you know, the women running the moon base, yeah. which is amazingly forward-thinking, yeah. something that carries through from Scarlet with the angels, there's a great... It's, it's so bizarre because it, 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 they're really striving for equality in so many ways, and yet, mm. and yet the costumes and all that sort of stuff, mm. and... Uh, you know, again, it's fine for the women to be in charge as long as they take some clothes off afterwards. <laughs> yes. Which is a very of its time <laughs> feeling. Yeah. But generally, the look and feel is, is amazing. It's incredible. It's an amazing performances. Red alert. Red alert. UFO 428-146-Green. Got it. 428-146-Green. Speed. Solid. Trajectory termination. Coming up. This is moon base to shadow control. Predicted trajectory termination, North Atlantic. Speed, solid. Going for intercept, out. Interceptors, immediate launch. Interceptors, immediate launch. How much do you know about sort of, because I think it's a very interesting transition where you go from UFO, the first series, to then these plans for UFO uh, 1999, which then became Space 1999. How much do you know about that kind of, that the plans for the second series and then how that sort of, one turned into the other and it, well, I think because this, this for dad was coming around a time when it, he was finding a relationship with Lou more difficult Lou was coming under pressure Lou was moving towards retirement as well gradually um, dad's relationship with Sylvia was not good at mm. all um, so it's a period in his life which he doesn't actually talk about mm. he didn't actually talk about that much to me mm. um, but again it, this suffered from the same thing that Thunderbirds did you know, Thunderbirds was, was lucky in a way because it got an extra few episodes, extra six episodes after the initial 26, total 32. But Lou's attitude was always, it's much easier for me to sell a new series than it is a second series of an old one. Mm-hmm. Um, and Yoho is exactly one of those, you know, you can try and move it to the moon and change the kind of the way we look at the, the series and the team, but it's still UFO. So for Lou, it was, you know, give me something new. Mm-hmm. So sort of did <laughs> sort of which yeah. it did give Slight us change. did give us space 1999 1975 to 77 yeah um, which again has one of the most incredible theme music it's one of my favourite uh, themes the just the incredible funky <laughs> guitar tune Very, that uh, opens uh, space space 1999 yeah, awesome. yeah. yeah. that was one of the most expensive shows on British television at the time or the most expensive show yeah so I, I think Dad had the most expensive TV show at the time the Thunderbirds Space 1999 and Space Precinct right um, and New, New Captain Scarlet was almost there as well it's quite a good thing though, <laughs> yeah, yeah. almost every decade to yeah. have an incredibly expensive <laughs> TV show but yeah no, it was it was massive I mean it'd probably be the equivalent of a sort of um 
uh, well, a Lost in Space on Netflix, say now. Yeah. And they're spending huge amounts of money on that, and it probably would have been at the same, same spend. I know it doesn't look quite the same. <laughs> no, but I think that is why those shows uh, still hold up because yeah. they still yeah. look incredible. The they huge, do. They look like spend. the movies of the time, or, you know, yeah. they look incredible. All levels are holding steady. You think we have it under control, John? Too early to tell. Well, I must say, it does look pretty promising to me. Well done. Now, I have to issue a communique sooner or later. Well, it'll give us more time to consider our next move. You see, John... I see men risking their lives to avert disaster, total disaster. Now, wake up, Commissioner. If this goes wrong, there won't be anybody to issue a communique. There will be no survivors. Commander, it's going up! There are massive changes between series one and two. You just wanted, do you have a preference? <laughs> oh, series one. Yeah. God. Yeah. No. I, mean, I, I agree. But I didn't did want to say that in case you're like, okay. I love series two. No, we'll have another Scott and Bruce. Yeah, exactly. Uh, no, I, I mean, it's that awful thing of you know the, one one of one of the many many reasons I think that so many of Dad's shows stand up now is because the team had complete free reign and they did what they loved. They were kind of making it for themselves. Mm. The ones where they tried to engineer it towards a certain audience, like Joe 90, may be less successful. Mm. But all the others, they were like, well, this would be a fun story. You know, I love uh, technical stuff and aviation and, and like underwater craft. Cool. Like, it, it was cool for them to do it. They were enjoying it. Um, and so when uh, they brought Fred Freiberger in to exec on series two, and they started doing, well, we need more comedy and. Uh, you need, you need some monsters of the week, and you need a pretty girl. Get rid of that old guy, and who is this like Barry Morse guy anyway? But he was—I mean, he's but, like my favorite character. Yes, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes, that kind of amazing, kind yeah. of uh, avuncular, kind of you trust him, and yeah, yeah, yeah. But to get rid, you know, not, of course, Catherine Shell, love Catherine, but they started kind of, kind of trying to reverse engineer, retro engineer it into a particular slot or trying to be like other things and I think the minute you try and do that you dilute it and strip out all the stuff that made it good and mm. um, so no I mean you know if you love season two good for you good for you uh, <laughs> but that must mean you haven't seen season one yeah I think there's, um, yeah there's a spin-off as well wasn't there well there were Plan plans for like yeah. apparently a third series or a spin-off for Captain Shell's character yeah. do you know how uh, that sounds like a Fred Freiberger project <laughs> uh, I mean da- dad, and, uh, dad and Fred had a, a slightly extended working relationship after the end of season two but they did end up falling out um, so much so that I've got a script somewhere where uh, a good third of it is devoted to mocking a character called Fred right? Uh, which is Dad's kind of written revenge, mm. fictional revenge on, on him um, so yeah, there were probably all sorts of plans but if, mm. if season two couldn't succeed then I don't think diluting it even further down to something that wasn't part of the successful first series mm. I I'm kind of glad it didn't happen. Again, sorry, Catherine. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, if, when Catherine listens to this, she's <laughs> going to be hugely disappointed. Right, well, at this point, I'm going to sit back a little bit because <laughs> I I like Terror Hawks. Mm. Tom loves Terror Hawks. He's obsessed with Terror Hawks. It's his favourite Anderson series. Well, I'm going to let you... I think I'm, I must have been about um, six or seven and we went to some sort of, um, I think it was Wimborne Market and we found VHSs of, like, it was only probably, like, four episodes of Terror Hawks but I, I watched that VHS over and over again until I was far too old to be doing it um, <laughs> you're but, never too old with Terror Hawks no, no. But, but, but it was one of those things where it was pre-internet so I only had those four episodes yeah. and it was only until like you know relatively relatively recently I was like what there's, there's more <laughs> and then when I watched all these new ones it was just like the best thing ever 
Terrahawks, stay on this channel. This is an emergency. But I just, you know, what made him go back to puppets after, if he hated them so much? <laughs> it's been like 15 years or so since he last did it. Yeah, um, God, it's, it, it's, it's strange, isn't it? Because he, he really did hate them, but, but I think people kind of knew him as the Thunderbirds yeah. guy. And so it was after Space 1999 and after Lou Grade had retired from ATV, and the, you know, the relationship was no longer there. He didn't have the finance. He was doing some work with Keith Shackleton, who was the guy behind most of the merchandising for TV21. He kind of designed that whole empire. And they tried a couple of things. They tried uh, Star Cruiser and uh, Intergalactic Rescue 4. And Dad was you know, getting comic strips done first. Um, Starlogged, is it Starlog? It was Starlog, wasn't it? And Look In magazine, all that sort of stuff. And I think all the time, he kept seeing letters coming into that magazine and you know fan mail and stuff, and it was always Thunderbirds, Captain Scarlet, Five Black Star Five, and he he just became known as the Thunderbirds guy, the puppet guy. And although he resented it, I think mm. probably the whole time he was doing live action stuff, people might say, "Oh, you're the Thunderbirds guy." And he go, "No, I'm a Space 1999 guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm doing live action. I, yeah. you know, none of that, none of yeah. that shit now." Yeah. <laughs> um, so he came came to realise that it was important and something he was good at and. There was something in it. Yeah. So when he met uh, Christopher Burr, who was the sort of co-producer of the series, they were originally bidding for uh, one of the Southern TV franchises, and they failed. And they just got to know each other and got working. And uh, for a while, there'd been uh, an idea on the cards to sort of do a re, not a rebooted, but a, uh, a, a non-copyright infringing, uh, non-derivative type of thing, which isn't anything like Thunderbirds. It was going to be called Thunderhawks. <laughs> um, uh, and you know, Christopher said, "Well, why don't we do a TV series together?" And, and Dad instantly flicked back into Supermarination mode because that had been where they were most successful. And so they started chatting. And Dad said, "Well, I'm going to, we're going to need the big stage at Pinewood and all this sort of stuff." And Christopher was topping the numbers up and just went, "Well, that's not going to work. So you've got to find some other way of doing it." Um, and so that you know, originally, Terrorhawks was going to be massive budget, mm -hmm. expensive looking, kind of you know, on, on par with Thunderbirds, I would say, or on par with Captain Scarlet. But the budgetary constraints made that just had to change the way we're going to do it. And so he thought, well, I've done you know, done the puppets from above. How about we go for some mm -hmm. puppets operated from below because the massive reduction in cost. You don't need the roof space. You don't need the, the huge space for the sets and all that sort of stuff. Um, uh, and so a kind of a new, slightly unwilling route into a new type of puppetry was born out of necessity, but out of a realization that he he had form in that area. Mm. Super macromation. Super macro. Well, I mean, you know, super marinations are bad enough control. <laughs> the super macromation. And then there's I mean, hyper marination, which is new Captain Scarlet. <laughs> yes, right? yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, now you come to appreciate those ridiculous terms, <laughs> um, and it, you know, again, it was all those the words like that were to try and make puppetry respectable mm. yeah. uh, or even though many people may not agree that Terrorhawks is respectable obviously you would Tom. well I, I, I do think it I mean I'm a bit biased because it's the one I grew up with more than the others but I do feel like it is underrated in, in comparison yep. I mean I don't you know it's, it's, it's got the 80s feel so obviously of the time of Star Wars and all is coming out of the back of that and so that's very on its time but I think it's 
the, the set pieces are great the music's brilliant and you know it's, it's I think as well it's, it's more obviously comic than yeah. a lot of the um, series which some people will, Might scoff will, at. will yeah. Yeah, and recoil at, at, yeah. at obvious humour whereas I think that's part of what makes yeah. it terrible it's great Tiger really. Einstein is one of the best characters <laughs> he might be a bit of a dick at times but yeah. <laughs> a bit a bit, a bit. <laughs> Yeah. Quite a lot I think when he's on Zero. his night, he's playing my game. <laughs> oh, nice, yeah. Morgan, impressive. <laughs> I can do a little bit of a, I can do a Jeremy Hitchin is out of that job. <laughs> Big finish if you need a replacement yeah. for Jeremy. <laughs> I think maybe when he gets to his ninth life, he'll become a bit nicer, maybe. Because <laughs> well, he knows he's hanging on. Yeah. So, we meet again, clone, but this time in my domain. Let the hostages go. <laughs> of course. You are free to leave. Take them back to Spacehawk, Zero. I'll tell you straight, sir. I don't trust any of them. Permission to stay, sir. Refused. Oh, I'm sure I... Do as your master says, you spherical non-entity. It is the last order he will ever give. <laughs> I liked um, there was an effort to release the Kate Kestrel single at the time as well. Something like, we talked know, about in our Terror Hogs episode was that it had a spin-off stuff. single with like yeah. a performance on top of the pops. Yeah, was it? by yes. live action. SOS. Incredible. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, that was, a, a, that was Christopher Burr's idea about having this extra thr- I mean, it's an amazing idea now. Yeah. You look at kind of um, Montana type stuff. Yeah. It was way ahead of its time. <laughs> it was. It was. But yeah, that, Dad said that the issue was you've got this show which is primarily supposed to be kind of action yeah. based and then you have to somehow do have a segue into <laughs> Kate Kestrel in a recording studio or performing yeah. kind of breaks the, f- the flow a little bit um, yeah Moya Moya Ruskin Moya Griffiths she's now was one is now the other I think she runs a piano bar in Chelsea now. I didn't <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we should go, go, we should go there I, I, definitely I met that's her incredible. a couple of years ago she yeah. looks exactly the same oh, as she did in 1983 <laughs> I don't know how With she's the candy floss wig, still, still, yeah, still, still wearing that every day. Yeah, obviously. No, she's she's brilliant. She's got some very happy memories of um, oh, nice. of being the human cake casserole. Amazing. <laughs> uh, oh, just well. just um, just one more thing with uh, Terrell. Was was he in any way disappointed at all with the reaction, or was he was he quite pleased with? Uh, God, I mean, he he didn't look back fondly on Terrell Hawks. Mm. Um, I think he was glad to get like back into the swing of things, and he he felt like elements of it, uh, like the Zeroids, mm-hmm. um, he thought that were going to be a tremendous success, and I I'm, I can't quite figure out why they were because they're so cool. Mm. I've got Zeroids cufflinks at home. Yeah, amazing, <laughs> but I mean, re- yeah, regionally accented, bouncing spherical robots. Mm-hmm. It just it lends itself naturally to being an awesome toy, and, and I just I just love them. So I'm not quite sure why it wasn't that a great success. So I think that maybe slightly knocked his confidence because he thought, well, these great, these elements are great. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I mean, it did pretty well. I think it was it was getting between sort of six and eight million viewers a week. I mean, you wouldn't get that now, obviously. You'd kill for that now, wouldn't even, you? Yeah. Even then, that was pretty good for yeah. a, you know, sort of weekend or afternoon kids show. Um, but yeah, he he definitely felt like uh, it wasn't as well received as hoped. And then people would call it things like terrible hawks oh. or error hawks. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's clever, but still wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But just because it's clever does not make it right. No, uh, I've heard them all. So, uh, <laughs> uh, no, no need for any more of those. But yeah, it, 
not his finest hour as far as he was concerned, but I still absolutely love it. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, yeah. and so glad it's found that second life now through yeah. Big Finish as well. Yeah, yeah. No, that uh, that was that was a great thing to do. Um, really, really fun. It's kind of you know uh, a bit of a, a bit of a childhood dream mm. for me. The two, the two the two things that I watched most probably as a kid were Terror Hawks and Doctor Who. Mm. So it was yeah. Great fun. Now you get to do both. I know. <laughs> what, what, what a lucky geek I am. Yeah. Well, um, one of the next big things was uh, Space Precinct, mm. 1994 to 1995, which again, I love. I, I watched Space Precinct as a kid, I think, when it was, cause it was on Sky originally, which I didn't have Sky, but then it was on BBC Two. Yep. Correct. And I loved Space Precinct. I, I had Space Precinct Pulse. I feel like. <laughs> yes. That's the, the most 90s you know I mean? thing you've ever said. Because it came out in like 1995. Yeah. It was yeah. the era where anything had a pop. And yeah. I had like a whole bunch of them as well. Yeah. I remember the pogs very well, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, that, again, that was a bit strange because being at school around then, we had Thunderbirds being this massive success, mm. and you know, my friend's parents begging me to somehow get them a Tracy Island at Christmas. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, you just had piles of them in the garage. Yeah, yeah. I, was, I was like six or seven years old. How am I supposed to do it? pressure. Yeah, it was a huge amount of pressure. But then, then they were making space breathing, and I was. You know, in summer holidays and stuff, and half turns all the time, just at Pinewood, watching them do it. Amazing. So that that was a really, really, really cool period of time. Yeah. Um, and I think, do you know what? Uh, podcast exclusive. Oh. Uh, no, it's, it's not. It's, oh. not, it's, not, it's not even worth it at all. But um, my some friends of mine at school was was so obsessed with it that they, we had like a little um, space music fan club. Amazing. Uh, yeah, called the Eighty Eight. <laughs> Now, you have to be a space music geek to get the reference. Yeah. It's the 88 Precinct, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, which is the um, the station house. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we like I, I loved it. I yeah. really, really loved, I loved it, it as a kid, yeah. and it was very popular with my friends. But rubbish toys. Really? Yeah. I mean, no offense to Vivid, who did the toys, yeah. but I, they just weren't very good. Right. They were they were ugly little things. And <laughs> yeah. Even the the police cruiser was kind of clunky and and not fun. Mm. Um, and again, do you know what that suffered from the same thing as I mentioned earlier on about placement and scheduling, yeah. I was reading some notes the other day, uh, just going through Dad's archive, and I found some bits pieces, which are the um, notes from the BBC about what had to change in the delivered episodes. And they had to do a lot of editing around and fixing bits and, bits and pieces to make it palatable um, for the BBC's standards and compliance team. Mm. So they were busy messing around with that, and then... I think there were two two different forces pulling pulling against each other on that show. You know, some people thought it should be kind of Blade Runner esque, mm. and others thought it should be kind of more comedic mm. and much more light hearted. And and because of that, it never really even found that middle ground. It was just sort of it was stretched a bit thin and diluted. It it could have been really really brilliant. Mm. I still I'm still very very fond of it yeah. and had an amazing time as a kid being at Pinewood on it, but. Yeah, just missed the mark slightly. The name's Brogan. Lieutenant Brogan. For 20 years, I was with the NYPD. Now, well, let's just say I've transferred to another precinct. Had a really interesting backstory where it started out as space police with a part. Was it Shane Rimmer that was a space Shane police? Shane Rimmer, yeah. Or was it Scott Tracy? Yeah. Was, was the original Brogan. Yeah. Um, 
and uh, yeah, that's I mean that's where they started the idea of you know dressed up people where it didn't look like there was just stuff glued to their faces, mm. but they were wearing full prosthetic masks. Yeah. Um, but they were sort of cat-like people in the pilot and space police and space police was a real kind of uh, showcase of everything that Dad and his team had learnt to that point because it it included live action, puppetry, stop motion, um, animatronics, model work. I mean, it, it was they literally used every trick in the book to put that pilot together, and the pilot was quite fun. And there was a, there was a comedic element to it, but it was cer certainly darker. Um, but yeah, it took took them from 1986 to 1993 to get it into pre-production. So a really long period, and another another project where Dad had to sort of laser focus on it, um, to the point where, like I said, he had to go and get all this job directing adverts and <laughs> uh, making yeah making the Swinton Insurance advert amazing with uh, Lady Penelope and <laughs> Weetabix advert with Titan. I mean, kept him busy. But yeah. <laughs> so just finally, in terms of this kind of long, long list of yeah. uh, projects, was uh, the 2003 version of Firestorm, which was the, the, the anime uh, series. I mean, I know you're now kind of working on these plans to make a new version which are closer to the original uh, documents and that, and that kind of thing. So was that kind of quite a departure from what your dad had intended and, and this new version is presumably much closer to that? Yeah, yeah. I'm just, I'm just going to uh, say you very tactfully skipped over Dick Spanner from 86 <laughs> and Lavender Castle from 1999. No, right, right. We, we, had, we had like a pre-production meeting where, which is rare. <laughs> which is rare. Where we talked about, it was like, this episode could go on forever and ever. And we were talking about, I love, I said I loved yeah. Lavender Castle. Yeah, yeah. I used to watch it as a kid. But, I mean, yeah. if you, do you want to talk about Lavender it Castle? More than happy to. You're more than happy to. It was really cute. It was really, really I liked cute. it. Yeah. I really liked yeah. Lavender and, Castle. And again, it outrated Rugrats at the time. Rugrats yeah. was massive in yeah. 99. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, I love Lavender Castle. Very yeah. fond of it. Lavender Castle. A place of legend fabled right across the universe. This is our quest to find it. Um, I don't know. Yes, exactly. I was saying to you, I was like, I'd, I'd like to talk about Lavender Castle. But yeah, no, we'll, we'll leave it there. <laughs> Definitely look it up. It's all over YouTube and stuff. Yeah. And it's a very, very cute little series. Dad loved it. Um, no, Firestorm, uh, originally called Stormforce, uh, yeah, it, it was quite different. Mm. Um, ended up being optioned by a Japanese company, and Dad just didn't. He didn't get on with the production team, and there's this series series of letters between the two of them where he gets increasingly rude, and the responses from the Japanese team get increasingly polite. <laughs> you know, he he's saying, "What is this? You know, you're not consulting me. This is nothing like I intended." And they're writing back, "Dear Mr. Anderson, we're we're so sorry to read a letter, it, we're, but we're always honoured to receive a letter from you." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it was it, it was very oh. awkward. And they, in their final meeting, where they parted company, and, and he said, "Look, fine, you make it your way, but I don't have anything to do oh. with it now." Uh, and they, um, it was originally called, going to be called Jerry Anderson's Firestorm. Mm. He said, you're not putting my name above it. And they said, well, we need an association. So we're going to say Firestorm based on an original idea by. Mm. And he, he, outside before the meeting, the final meeting, he, he said to, uh, I think his lawyer who he was with, I can't, you know, do you think we can say, well, can we ask them to make it loosely based on my <laughs> He was just desperate to... Distance himself yeah. because it. I mean, you know, and it, it's it's fine, and there's some fun elements yeah. and stuff. But 
you know, there's some very basic mis- misunderstandings about how the team was supposed to work and what they were doing, mm. which were lost in the anime, which were trying to reintroduce in the in the ultra marionation lovely version. Oh. Yeah, which is that's still an ongoing concern. Still working on that. Absolutely amazing. Yes. As with these things, which is probably why I keep saying these shows take so long to get off the ground. This is taking a very long time to get off the ground. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, we've got we've got a full kind of mini pilot that's about seven and a half, eight minutes long, um, which looks fantastic and is is kind of within days of being completely signed off and done and delivered, which is very exciting. Um, and now it's a case of going around and showing it to broadcasters and getting them interested. But it, you know. If you think how expensive Thunderbirds was at the time, mm. we're basically trying to persuade broadcasters to make an incredibly expensive show with puppets. Yeah. Which it, it's, a, it's a really difficult ask, mm. but uh, uh, yeah, I think I'm hoping the visuals will speak for themselves. And you know, we've shown it to loads of kids who freak out. In fact, we showed it to a, a, kid, a, a kid in a test who was seven or eight, and uh, when it when it was over, he said, "Can, can I watch more?" <laughs> Good. We said, no, sorry, that is just a little <laughs> test thing, but we hope we can make it. He cried. Oh, he cried because there was no more fire stuff. What you want to do is um, bring that crying kid out to the, the broadcasters and be like, you're making him cry <laughs> by not making Firestorm. Yeah. Yeah. Look what you've done. Exactly. This yeah. is child abuse, you lot. <laughs> yeah. You've got to sort it out now. Uh, no, but I, yeah, the, the kids we, we showed it to love it. But, you know, uh, we just finished, signed off the opening titles, which I showed to uh, a family where there was a two year old, a nine year old, and a 15 year old. Uh, they all freaked out and loved it. The two-year-old demanded it be shown again and again and again. So there's there's clearly something here. Yeah. Um, but it's just trying to remind the kind of entertainment industry that there's an amazing value in Jerry Anderson puppetry. Yeah. They're on patrol, Nagisa. You need to get out of there now. Sam, if you hadn't set this bomb to go off earlier, the base will go up in eight seconds. I am not leaving here until we get what we came for. Three seconds! Sam? They're here. And in terms of the the future for Anderson Entertainment now, is that something you want to, along with Firestorm, you're going to be keep on pursuing new projects and new series? Is that the plan? Yeah, absolutely. We have a two a two D series based on a a, a Jerry Anderson property, um, which is in development. Uh, A preschool series again based on the Jerry Anderson original and a feature uh, which Dad wrote in 2008, which is. well on its way to, to, to being financed but like I said these, these, they just take forever yeah. and because there aren't people like Lou Grade now saying I believe in what you're doing here is the money you have to go around all over the, all over the world trying to get you know, little bits of funding from different places um, it, it, the current industry doesn't I don't think really kind of support creators to just create mm. it becomes much more of a commercial concern um, Toyetic is a word I hear all the time. That's a word is I've this, never heard before. Yeah. No, I hadn't until fairly recently. Is the show Toyetic? Because they want it to have toy potential. Yes. But it, you know, it shouldn't be about that. Yeah, it shouldn't no. be, you know, or oh, let's make something that has those toy potential. It's like let's make something cool that we love. And then other people will love it too. But if you try if it's this constant effort to make things fit a commercial kind of template. Which I think is why we're a bit short of anything really, really good for kids right now. Mm. 
that little crying kid will be 48 by the time (laughs) (laughs) but still loving it because it applies to all all ages I'll be 74 then (laughs) let's not I I can't wait that long yeah um, we we sort of touched upon it before, but I just want you know for the for the absolute noob, can you just explain the difference between supermarination, supermacromation, and hypermarination? And now ultramarination. And ultramarination as well. Just just I need the, like a, a, a table. I need to tabulate. This, <laughs> um, uh, oh goodness me! Right. Okay. So um, supermarination is uh, in terms of the pup- puppetry, strung marionettes, so marionette puppets jointed. Yeah. Um, uh, human portions from scarlet onwards and uh, standard marionette portions enlarged head prior to that um, uh, eyes that move left and right and uh, a mouth that is operated via uh, electronic impulse and a solenoid which flaps the lips sometimes automatically sometimes not <laughs> um, super macromation uh, foam rubber or latex puppets operated from beneath uh, with the eyes operated, I think remotely, um, and the mouth operated with two fingers in the lower jaw. Right. Hypermarination uh, is relatively easy because that's motion capture uh, CG. So it wasn't really puppets at all. It was bizarre <laughs> to go, God, the puppets were so limited, we've got to get away from the puppets. Let's call it hyper puppetry. <laughs> uh, it, it was very odd, but yeah, that was hypermarination. Ultramarination. Is a is a return to the all practical. Uh, it goes beyond the, the puppets themselves into, you know, physical sets, yeah. practical effects, miniatures, all the good stuff. Uh, but the puppets that are rod driven, so they still have the translation of the puppeteer's movement into into the puppet, um, but they can run and jump and do all Amazing. that good stuff. And they also have some uh, some uh, some servos in the face, which means we can give a, bit, a little bit more uh, kind of emotion in the faces, hopefully some slightly better lip sync, uh, blinks and even moving eyebrows and in fact we discovered that uh, <laughs> this might be another podcast exclusive, oh, podcast exclusive. exclusive. Um, we found a, a Roger Moore button, so somebody dropped one of the remotes, uh, didn't realise that this button had been flipped but it meant that one of the characters had only one eyebrow that raised. This great arch single mm. eyebrow. Uh, we later discovered that the button separates the two servos on the on the eyebrows. Right. But yes, you can so you can make them do this lovely you, quizzical. I was going to say you can look quizzical or ironic or yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. So the Roger Moore button is a feature of ultramarination. Amazing. Well. <laughs> and I can't remember if we we may have well discussed this uh, throughout. But if you had to pick one series above all else, which is you're, you're, <laughs> you're cringing right now, what is your favourite Jerry Anderson series? Hmm. Because uh, really, I've said mine's Captain Scarlet and yeah. Mr. Ron's, Tom's is Terror Hawks. Yeah. yeah, so I'm I'm really really fond of Terror Hawks. It's, I'm, it's painful for me to try and <laughs> decide this. Really, well, we know you love really them all, is. and we know it's like picking yeah. your favourite. Well, no, child. I don't love them all because you know Mike Joe Ninety's a dick. <laughs> except for, except for uh, Joe Ninety is, is a dick. Except yeah. for Joe. Um, yeah, I mean. I, Thunderbirds holds a really special place. Mm-hmm. Um, just you know, tra- trapped in the sky. I must have seen, oh, I don't know, hundred plus times. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just it's just something that's always been around. You know, Thunder. It's not just the show itself. It, it's it's the, the repeats in '91 and the early 2000s and everything associated with it. So I, I think probably Thunderbirds with Terrorhawks is a very close second. Mm-hmm. Cool. 
for good Holy Trinity. Yeah, it is. And, and uh, <laughs> just finally, I want to talk to you a little bit about the work that you do with Big Finish, because mm. obviously I'm big, uh, dear Anderson fan, was a big Doctor Who fan, very big Big Finish fan. It must just be incredible for you now to get to work on sort of Anderson properties, but also Doctor Who stuff with those guys and get to write and direct all of that. Yeah, it's, um, it's a bit of a weird kind of dream come true scenario because yeah. I, I always wanted to do what dad did I, when I was a kid always 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 from as, as young as it's appropriate to ask a child what they want to do when they grow up mm. uh, it always said the same thing which is I want to do what you do dad um, but at the same time I was a doctor obsessive since since I was three I think um, so yeah it's bizarre and I, I never ever thought that I would get the opportunity to work with classic doctors mm. uh, let alone direct them I mean you know t- telling the doctor what to do is <laughs> a bit weird yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but then again you know then getting to, to write for them um, is is a real treat I feel extremely privileged to do that um, so yeah it's it's pretty it's kind of pinch yourself mm. stuff mm. Um, and I know people say that and they, oh, I'm so grateful for the opportunity and all that. I, I really really am yeah. you know I sit I sit in the control booth sometimes when we're doing a recording and <laughs> Just listen to to the lines, and then I'm ta- I'm talking to the doctor. It's so weird. Yeah. Um, and and the, my favourite thing is uh, when I get a, a phone call or a text message. I get text messages from Sylvester Sil- Sil- McCoy that are normally uh, emojis and swear words. Um, but just you know, picking up, see, seeing, picking up your phone and, and seeing the doctor's name on mm. it essentially is is just really cool. So yeah, I, yeah I'm very very grateful to them for that. And incredible lunches. Having having been in the oh, studio a few times, the lunches, yeah, the lunches are <laughs> they are good though. The lunches are, are amazing. Uh, t- Toby at the moment does amazing lunches, yeah. but people don't have to go on about them. Oh, I know. oh my god! Oh. It's, what do you, what do you get? get? Well, what don't you get? He like he like lays on just a spread. It's yeah. a spread. That's the only way to describe yeah, it. It's incredible. It's an incredible spread. But the but the great difficulty is when you're doing the extras interviews afterwards. Mm. Yeah. You can't get them to talk about anything other than the bloody lunches. Yeah, it's not great for afternoon recordings because everyone's in a food coma. Sort of. So Jeremy Clarkson yeah. would be happy if he. Jeff Terry nobody gets punched. <laughs> Not yet, anyway. Sorry. Famous last words. Maybe this will be quoted in the future after a big punch up. Uh, wonderful. Well, that is everything, Jamie. Yeah. Thank you very much for your time. Yeah. Cheers. Thank you. Sorry, it was so long. Thanks. <laughs> Cheers. Well, there you go. Oh, very interesting, wasn't it? Good, wasn't it? Yeah. We hope you enjoyed our Jerry Anson special. Thanks again to Jamie for giving up so much of his time. Uh, you can find him at. I'm Jamie Anderson, I am Jamie Anderson on Twitter. Uh, and you should also follow at Jerry Anderson TV. Uh, and for more Jerry Anderson related chat, but with substantially less swearing, uh, you should listen to Jamie's own podcast, yes. uh, the Jerry Anderson Podcast, which you can find on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, any place where there's podcasts. And just thanks for letting us just fanboy the hell out of you for <laughs> like two hours. Uh, well, next time, as we trailed at the beginning of this episode, it is our Jurassic Park yeah, episode. It's, it's, it's not extinct, it is coming. Life finds a way. <laughs> it does. But in the meantime, uh, you can find all our previous episodes at our website, which is twogeeks2beers.com, and on iTunes, where you can also, and you should, uh, rate, review, and subscribe. If it's you enjoyed this episode, give us a quick rating and a review. Uh, it means a lot. If you didn't enjoy this episode, just leave it. Yeah. Uh, don't waste our time or don't, yours. Don't give us a bad rating, just, just don't download us again. Just leave it. Yeah. And uh, also, as ever, we are on the social channels at Two Geeks Cast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Yes, give us a follow. Now, to play us out, 
so much great music, as we discussed, associated <laughs> with the various Jerry Anderson series. You've heard yeah. most of them. That's the thing. I wish I was a spaceman, Aquamarina, the Captain Scarlet, end theme by the Spectrums. The problem is, as you said, we did already play most of them. Yeah. Um, so, sort of, uh, this is what we're left with. Uh, to, to, <laughs> to play us out, the one thing Jamie did like about the 2004 Thunderbirds <laughs> movie, it's Thunderbirds Are Going yes. by Busted. Yes. Don't be mad, please. Stop the hating. See you next time. Cheers. deliver all the the best stuff about this podcast in 25 seconds or less. What, like a trailer? Like a trailer. It is a trailer. It's for, it's it's actually for a trailer. trailer. Oh, right. Yes, it's a trailer. Seconds. Yeah. But there's so okay. much. Okay, right. Five. Let's get right. started. Uh, well, it's uh, full of uh, interviews with celebrities and stars who worked with or for Jerry Anderson. 
That's true. And also news uh, about everything that's going on in the Jerry Anderson universe. Yeah, we have people getting in touch with us on podcast.jerryanderson.co.uk, asking us questions and giving us their comments. That's true. And we also have special features like the randomizer from Chris Dale, which selects a random episode each week for him to watch and comment on. And it's with me, Richard James, and you, Jamie Anderson. That's right. And people can get in touch on podcast at jerryanderson.co.uk. Do you think that's it? Oh, well, I think they could subscribe, rate, and review. Is that 25 seconds? That's it. Let's stop. We did it. <laughs> the Jerry Anderson Podcast with Jamie Anderson and Richard James. 